You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. During the course of the NBA season, I'm not sure there was a fan base more excited than Knicks fans, but they walked into the offseason with a ton of money to spend and huge expectations. Now, one big name is headed to New York. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Oh, I'm going to choke on my home. So excited about this. We're leaving. There's no mute button. Look, this is we're not. I'm off the rails before we've even Those started. Sir, the world you would know. get fined a whole lot for that ball of phlegm if you were uh, working for another show. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm drinking some coffee. I take a little coffee right before I tell everybody that we're you leading you up to the Astros you, Dodgers coffee. on ESPN radio tonight. <laughs> Pre-game starts at nine Eastern. Uh, like Max Scherzer's Dodgers debut. We got all this exciting stuff we're going to get into. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and all, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. But the straight talk that everyone needs to know brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless is that when we do these shows and we're not in a physical studio, which happens sometimes for both of us, there's no mute button. Like, so if I'm going to, if I'm going <laughs> to cough or, or hack, I don't even have a way to press a button to, to avoid it, Sarah. Like, it's just an inevitability and I had no choice. Well, I appreciate that you were all caught up in your emotions about the New York Knicks. There will be so many that accuse our team of being haters that are going to be happy to hear that Kemba Walker going to his hometown New York Knicks brought you uh, brought you to tears. Well, it did. It uh, I got all verklempt uh, over it. Kemba Walker, uh, after a couple of years that have been marred by injury and disappointment, but let's remember that a couple of years ago, Kemba was one of the big fish that everybody thought could go somewhere and suddenly be a difference maker. Now they've agreed to a buyout with Oklahoma City, and it looks like he is going to sign with the Knicks, and this is an opportunity for the Knicks to bring in a big brand, a great player, somebody that coming off of a, a career-low 43 games had the worst uh, assist percentage of his career. A lot didn't go right last year, but in a COVID world, I don't know how much we can extrapolate forward from that. So right now, Knicks fans got to feel like they got a guy that can come in that loves the garden, that loves that area, that is going to be able to contribute right away. Yeah, they uh, they have one more big signing that they need to make, and that is... Uh... That's an orthopedist, because if you're going to have Kemba Walker <laughs> and Derrick Rose on the roster taking up a good chunk of change, you better get someone who specializes in knees. And that's the biggest issue here, Fitz, is Walker has had some tremendous games at MSG, and he is, to your point, a player that used to carry with him a lot of cachet. Unfortunately, last season was one of his worst as a pro. He played in a career-low number of games, and that's all tied to the health issues. And if he can't stay healthy, this doesn't do much for a Knicks team that a lot of people think needed to go bigger. And, and I think one of the reasons is what you hear about this Knicks team every offseason is how they're going to snag the top free agent. And yeah, there wasn't an Anthony Davis or a LeBron or you know a, a Harden this season for everyone to lose their minds over. But they also didn't get any of the top gets uh, that were available. And the better they are, the, the, the playoff appearance is supposed to help, the more we're supposed to believe that they're a destination again. And it just hasn't borne out in the actual results. And Max Kellerman was on first take and kind of said as much like, I, I, I wanted to see more. First of all, he's a very good player. He's like a mini Kyrie Irving, but a good locker room guy, a leader, all that stuff. He's undersized, so there are defensive issues and all that. But there's a bigger issue here. For all the hype about the Knicks... They're now locked in long-term to a team whose ceiling is the second round. We know they're not getting to a conference finals with this team. It's like a typical Tibbs team so far. It'd be one thing if they had flexibility going forward, but they're locked in long-term. We saw the playoffs. Julius Randle is at best, a th really a third-best option on a championship-caliber team. 
maybe a second best option on a championship contender. He's not a first option. So Kemba's a nice fit, but it's indicative of the fact that the Knicks have once again stalled um, in this latest kind of reboot where people are getting enthusiastic about it. Yeah, that's I mean, it. It's, it's the stalling. But I, at the same time, I look at it, Sarah, and say, what did we expect? I guess, to your point, I mean, I'm not sure that there was a free agent right now available out there if, if we all believe that Kawhi is going to go back to the Clippers. I'm not sure there was the guy that was going to make a fan base say, we won this thing so big that now we are absolutely a championship team. So is there a strategy in saying what we're going to do is be as good as possible and hope that maybe, much like the Bucks did, things can just break our way? You don't have a Giannis. Things don't things break your way because you have a Giannis and then you can go out and spend to get the very best to put around him. They don't have that person yet because to his point, Randolph's a third best player on a championship team. Um, And yeah, you can't do that overnight. And there wasn't that big fish that you could snag. But I think it does temper the excitement enthusiasm that the Knicks had after their 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 finish last year. It's going to be tough to repeat. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of tempering excitement, anyone who listened to the show yesterday would know that I was very enthusiastic about the Bulls' trajectory <laughs> feeling changed by the additions of Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan, adding that to Zach Levine and what we saw last year, um, you know, that that you could finally believe that it was fun to watch the Bulls again, that they would have enough talented players. Vucevic, you know, unfortunately, we never really got to see how that would look last season because Levine got COVID, Vucevic got hurt. So we add all these pieces together, and I'm excited. Until... I hear from a variety of people that I shouldn't be. Here's what it sounded like. Kevin Pelton did not give your Bulls yeah. a big grade on the DeMar DeRozan signing. Do you want me to beat him up? They picked a fight with the wrong guy! Um, I think it'd probably be a more efficient beating if I did it. Offering up I some reality. A few minutes later. Joining us now, ESPN NBA reporter. Occasionally calls me and my husband at around 10 p.m. and says he's coming over without an invite when he's in town. Might have just happened a week ago. It's Nick Friedel. Can you make me feel good about this, or are you going to Kevin Pelton me? I'm going to Nick Friedel you for many, many years and oh, say no. that while the Bulls are interesting and, and they made some cool moves today, I don't think they're that much better. You know what? Friedel, get out of here. you a chance at coming over to my yeah. house next time. You're not, like, yeah, Connecticut's next a time. long drive to get free food and free drinks. I'm just next saying. Next time I'm going to be asleep, too. This is Spain and Fitz. Yep. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. And the good news is I found an ally, Fitz. Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer, a bright baseball or basketball mind, the kind of person that I want to hear from. And he said it's a high stakes season, that they are all in on competing, that these, you know, revamped roster that they're putting out there could be the best team of Zach Levine's career. And I'm just excited again. I'm willing and allowing myself to be excited because, you know what, if you're disappointed before it happens and disappointed when it happens, then you suffer twice. Why not be enthusiastic now and hope for the best? That is some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. We're just going to keep looking for people that say favorable things about our favorite teams, (laughs) and we're going to make sure that it gets love on this show. I mean, I think that's a smart strategy. Uh, Look, we're 24 hours later on this whole thing, and I still feel like the Bulls made themselves better. I'm just saying, yes. I, I still feel good about it. I also, though, 24 hours later, still feel like the Lakers are old, uh, and which is dumb for Older me to say at the age of 44. By the yeah. way, like, I mean, it's it, I realize at 44 for me to say that the average uh, age will be 31. Uh, for all of these players, almost 32 for the Lakers roster, it feels dumb to say that's old. But that's 
old at this point. Like LeBron is the longest tenured roster, so uh, or player on that roster. So I don't feel any different about the Bulls. I don't feel any different about the Lakers. And I'm not sure I feel any different about the Knicks through all of this. All of this hype, and I'm not sure anybody other than Miami made themselves drastically better in my mind. Well, you did say the Bulls got better, but just not not drastically? Well, uh, let me say, uh, I'll say it differently. Uh, I'm not sure anybody other than Miami suddenly is in a different... No, you're right. The Bulls are in a different level of conversation. Never mind. It's just the Lakers. I'm anti-Lakers, apparently. There you go. I mean, listen, you're right. They're (laughs) they're very old. They They will be the oldest team in NBA history. They will have the highest amount of money dedicated to three players uh, than any other team in history. And they are going to be an experiment that we'll need to watch. But I will say that adding Monk and Nunn were necessary additions for their three-point shooting. And a lot of their issues with perimeter defense hopefully can be fixed by buy-in and effort. So, I'm, I'm, like I said yesterday, I still believe in them as being a favorite, but a lot of things have to go right for them. Yeah, and, and again, I think I double down constantly on the if AD and LeBron are healthy, they're going to be the favorites no matter who's around them. And if AD and LeBron are healthy, they're going to be incredible with these guys around them. It just all still comes down to, are those two healthy? We'll keep breaking it down throughout the course of the night, obviously, but there's a ton of NFL news, so we'll give it to you the way only we can next. NFL Quickies coming up next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Although it's Spain and Spitz, apparently, early in this show, as I can't <laughs> seem to drink my coffee and not uh, regurgitate it. We're leading you up to Astros Dodgers on ESPN Radio tonight. The pregame starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. Max Scherzer making his Dodgers debut. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Progressive Insurance were presented by. Weird way for me to say that. And uh, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. I'm just on fire to start the show tonight. Well, ESPN I mean, to Radio fair, presented the, by Progressive. Go ahead. Yeah, yes. the Scherzer's debut was last night. Uh, it says on the screen. It's just I'm Ron Burgundy. I, like it says, Mike Scherzer's. Am I am I wrong this time? Because I thought it was last night. <sighs> Look, I, <laughs> We're both on fire. What We're I know is the ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save Progressive save over seven hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> on average. Yeah, like I'm not gonna lie. Between the weird sleep cycle, between uh, the Olympics going on, like I I was talking to uh, our great station in Nashville today, and I decided somebody that doesn't play for the Colts plays for the Colts. So it's just been one of those days. Like <laughs> it is. Well, I'm, honestly, I'm the first to admit let's it. just put it all out there. It's one of those days. There's not a lot of news, and I was intent on watching the Olympics last night, and completely today I was like getting ready. For the show i'm like hamels scherzer debut what's happening so uh my apologies to everybody out there well we're gonna try and pull it together i can't promise that either way we'll be fun <laughs> in what we do and we'll have some fun now the way only we can let's do some nfl news and notes but we'll do it quickie style quickies with spain and fits we get in and out of topics fast all right we're gonna start this with some Washington football team news that I think is actually pretty significant, Sarah. The Washington football team has decided to ban Native American headdresses and face paint from FedEx Stadium. So uh, obviously they dropped the name a year ago, and uh, at this point we don't know what the new name will be. But there was a lot of question about whether or not they would still embrace some of that past and how they would handle it. This is a pretty substantial way for them to say that is not going to be part of what they embrace Moving forward, they'll hold a practice at Stadium Friday with about 20,000 fans expected to be the biggest crowd since the home finale in 2019. But they are letting everybody know right out of the gates that they will not allow any Native American uh, gear to be part of how you come into the stadium. I think it's a big statement. 
It's really smart. They've already also announced that Warriors is not a candidate for the new name, um, which is yet to be revealed. It's really important because there are people who will cling to the identity that the team had before, regardless of how many different ways they can be told that turning a group of people into a mascot or caricature is insulting, is offensive, is degrading, has negative impacts. And studies show it on young people of the Native American community. So for them to say, listen, no aspect of this is, is still a part of who we are. And that includes whatever you might consider um, a costume or attire that's a throwback to what we used to be. I think it's really smart and really necessary. I'm not sure exactly, does that mean all face paint? Or, or are they regulating the kind of face paint? That seems like a tough job for the people at the gate. So it might just have to be, listen, don't, don't, don't do anything that could be remotely mistaken for, for a throwback to our old identity. The the further we get away from all of this, the more I feel like something related to the hogs is an inevitability. I mean, that would still allow the costumes that people wore for an entire generation. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what they do moving forward. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. Oh, the, the voice just says it's so cool. Philip Rivers. You know, we all know that Philip decided to step away from the game, and he's now a high school football coach, and that's a spectacular moment. But we also know that the Colts have some issues at quarterback, and uh, with the injury to Carson Wentz, we've been all speculating about what it could mean for Nick Foles or Marcus Mariota, a ton of different people. Well, now we get a report that Philip Rivers is quite content playing uh, coaching high school football, but he's also not ruling out at least mm-hmm. the possibility of a return to the NFL if the situation were right. So we're looking at the at least possibility that Philip Rivers could suddenly decide he wants to get back on the field there. Listen, I think that we could have seen this coming for a very obvious reason, and Steve Harvey is one of the people who did. When it comes to quarterbacks, I wanted to congratulate Philip Rivers on his retirement from the NFL. Now that I've congratulated Philip for his retirement, I want to welcome him right back to the NFL. Why, Steve? Because Philip got nine kids. Nine. You're not retiring from nothing, homie. I got seven kids. I'm 64 and still working. Yo will be back next season. See you next year, homie. Yeah, that's it. He went home. He's like, I got 11 kids to take care of. Uh, Actually, you know what? Football is easier. He did say, Fitz, that he kind of imagines himself to be arriving later in the season. He's got that uh, coaching gig up until October, but he feels ready and sounds ready to make that late season appearance for whichever team might need him. Uh, Probably not the Colts then, but... Uh, we can we can maybe imagine a world where Philip Rivers screaming non obscenities on the field is is our reality again. Look, I mean, you say not the Colts. That presumes that when Carson's back, he's actually going to stay back. I mean, we, we right. have that's no fair. idea how that, that's, that's going to go. It's, I mean, spinning the wheel of, of doom every time with that. So we'll see how that works out. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. And this gives us another interesting nugget from one Urban Meyer. So Urban Meyer likes to run different drills, as so many coaches do during uh, training camp, and likes to line people up one-on-one. So you do a little one-on-one, whether it's a special teams blocking drill or whatever it might be. So the example from practice was just that, as Tim Tebow lined up against against Chris Manhurts. Well, Manhurts won the matchup, and immediately, winner Manhurst was broadcast over the loudspeaker. And in fact, we find out that they are keeping track of who wins and who loses one-on-one matchups 
matchups overall. And Urban apparently did this at Ohio State. He did that even before at Florida and used it as a way to give the people that constantly win playing time. And he has said that he's not ruling out even helping him make roster decisions, not just what you see on the field, but actually keeping stat uh, track of the stats of who wins these mini one-on-one battles. You like that, Sarah? So I... I like it in one sense, which is it immediately adds that competitive uh, spirit to to practice where guys aren't going to be loafing if it gets announced right afterwards how they did. If it's really only used for bubble players, fine. That makes sense, right, if he's trying to keep track. But what Urban Meyer said is, I don't believe in subjectivity. I believe in what's your record. Every man's got a record. You are what your record is. If you lose a lot but you have a lot of potential, that's not real good. I don't know that I agree with that, and I definitely don't believe that they're going to use winners and losers from these drills to determine major positions, particularly if they've got gamers or guys coming back from injury or vets that bring the smarts of the game. Like That doesn't translate from the drill to the field. So I don't mind using it as a way to really up the competition in, in practice. I just really don't believe, and I think there's going to be some disappointed guys that maybe got a lot of winner yelled after a drill that aren't the winner when it comes to making the roster. Yeah, well, and to that end, that's, I think, why partially we have to at least keep our eyes on what all of it means for accountability. Because if you're going to say this and then not actually back it up, that's going to be a really, really tough look for a coach that has still got to win a locker room over. And I don't care what he accomplished at the college level. He's still got to come in and show people what he can accomplish at the professional level. So nothing about this one is easy. And, and look, I, the innovation works one of two ways. It's either brilliant and everybody steals it, or we look at it in three years right. as part of the reason that, yet again, a college coach didn't make it in the NFL. I don't think that there's a lot of in-between on any of it, Sarah. So to me, if it was a coach that hadn't already had a bunch of questionable things happen in his short tenure – Maybe I'd look at it differently, but when you're talking about the way that we've viewed so far Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, it only reiterates that he's doing things differently, which could be interesting, as we said yesterday. Keyword. I'm not going to presume it is anything bigger than what it is unless we find out that it causes more fights in practice or that people are, you know, putting in effort that they're not supposed to for that level of practice or anything like that, right? For now, I'll just say, all right, create some competition. I'm okay with that. Yeah, one one win in the regular season. We'll forget about all of this. Coming up, we're going to talk to an Olympic great on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Who do you talk to when there's history in the hurdles, especially 400 meters? Nobody other than track and field legend Edwin Moses, two-time Olympic gold medalist in the 400-meter hurdles, won 170 straight finals, 122 straight races, set the world record four times. Edwin, thanks so much for the time. Let's just talk about, could you have imagined on the men's side a record that had stood since 92 getting broken twice in the same year? Uh, broken twice in the same year, and the the, the, the record world record for the women was broken twice this year and twice yeah. in, 19, in 2019. So it's been a fantastic time for the 400-meter hurdles. Absolutely spectacular. What is it that's made it so record-setting? Why has everybody gotten so good? Well, there's there's a couple of theories. There's a theory that the athletes had a chance to uh, lay off a year and lick their wounds because uh, going back-to-back and year-to-year is very, very hard on the body, and you only have a limited uh, shelf life as a, as a world-class runner. To run the super-fast times, you only get so many races in your life that, uh, that in which your body can do what it wants to do. 
And uh, and uh, today in the New York Times, there was an article about the, the nature of the track and that the track, the, the way that the track has been designed has been specialized to increase performance for like 2% in every event. So a lot of athletes are running well beyond what they've done before. And uh, a lot of the professionals and journalists and aficionados are, are, are attributing some of it to that. But nonetheless, they're running fast. And uh, at the end of the day, at the Olympic Games, it's not about the, the time that you win. It's the place that you get. So no one cares. If you run a slow time and win an Olympic medal, and then that's an easier day at the office. <laughs> right. Edwin Moses, uh, Olympic track and field great with us on Spain and Fitz. I wanted to ask you about the track and then the spikes, because Carson Warholm, who is the now world record holder, gold medalist from Norway in the 400-meter hurdles, who just edged out Rye Benjamin, despite his, his enthusiasm about the event and obviously having no bitterness, he's, he's on top of the world right now, he still said that Nike's quote-unquote super spikes are BS, that they act like trampolines and take away credibility from the event. And he also talked about how the track itself is a problem. He thought it had a sort of trampoline effect. So uh, that's what, you, that's, what yeah. that's exactly what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. And, you know, I, I, after I found, I read the article where the designers of the track said that it's worth 2%. And uh, I'm an engineer and I'm a physicist and I'm curious. So I said, what, what would that mean for me with my 47.02? And if you subtract 2%, that's 46.08. And Kevin Young, who was a record holder, record holder at uh, forty six seventy eight, if you take away two percent from his time, then that's a forty six uh, forty five eighty, which is even faster than what Warham had run. So I'm glad to hear that one of the athletes who's run that kind of time really understands that you know there is something going on well, uh, because so the time you- that we ran twenty thirty years ago could, will be equivalent, you know, based on a two percent difference if that's what the, if that's what the track and the shoes are worth. Well, so Edwin, it's been a while since you raced and inevitably technology and training and everything else is going to make almost every sport. um, Very few of these records are going to stand for decades and decades. But does it frustrate you at all to say you should still be in the books, if not for all this, uh, the benefits that these current day racers get? No, because you can't erase what we did. Just like Jesse Owens, you can never erase the the world records that he ran in 1936 are, are absolutely not comparable to anything that they're doing today. But uh, I, I think, you know, with, with the surface itself, that brings a whole different element into it because you're, you're, you're really uh, uh, disturbing uh, a constant in the sport, what athletes should think is a constant. So if you have improvements like that, then that's a significant difference in the times. And so you can't compare what we ran 25, 30, 40 years ago. You, you can't even begin to compare those times anymore. So what looks like something that's out of this world now uh, uh, probably would have been out of this world then had we had the same kind of technology. But that's uh, that's progress. I'm an engineer. I understand that. <laughs> With that being said, Edwin, like, who contributes to the conversation about how tracks should be constructed? I think that's the International Federation. And one thing I will say... Uh, you know, with the anti-doping that's going on, I would rather I would rather see the the, the, the track, the nature of the track change, uh, than the athletes have to use drugs to achieve those performances. So, at the end of the day, uh, I think that's a better solution anyway. But they regulate that, and uh, uh, the designers actually said that that was their that was their goal to produce faster times and uh, make springier surfaces, and they laid it out in detail. I was surprised to see the article. 
uh, because I thought that that uh, that kind of information would not be made public. But uh, right. the sport has changed. The shoes the shoes have changed, and I, I didn't know that Warhol was really complaining and talking about the credibility. To me, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I don't know that uh, I think I think he was not wearing the shoes. He was criticizing Benjamin's shoes and not his own. So maybe there's a little bit of that gamesmanship in there. We're talking to Edwin Moses, track and field great, two-time Olympic gold medalist in the 400-meter hurdles. Probably could have gotten another one if not for the Olympic boycott. Let's talk about the women's side and Delilah Muhammad and Sydney McLaughlin. We've been following Sydney for years here at ESPN. She was actually on our Voices of the Future panel at an ESPNW summit years ago, just a kid, and, and we could see she was headed for greatness. How cool is it for you or how weird is it for you to see these two women that everybody wanted to pit against each other? And in fact, they just kept repeating that they were empowering each other and iron, you know, sharpens iron. What did you make of that? I love women's athletics. I was looking more forward to the women's event than I was the men's event because I think it's much more competitive. Uh, I think, that, uh, quite frankly, between uh, Delilah and Sydney, I think that they're technically superior to the guys going over hurdles, to the majority of the guys going over, hur- over hurdles. They're much, much better technicians. They both ran outstanding races. They both ran all- almost perfect races. And it just came down to what the true nature of track and field is. And that's, uh, you know, a sprint. And uh, Sydney just outsprinted her in the last, it must have been 20 meters, because they were neck and neck until 25, 30 meters from the tape. So it was, and that's what I like to see. And that's why I watch the Olympics. I want to see foot races. I don't want to see people ducking and dodging and, and running against each other two times, two or three times a year. I want to see heads up competition. And it was you fantastic. That was one of the greatest races. Edwin, do you have a favorite uh, event in track that you just like to watch as a, a viewer instead of a, an analyzer? You know, I've always dreamed about this. The one wish that I have, and I know with, with today's technology, it's not possible. I wish that I could be in the stands and watch myself run in 3D. <laughs> because I'm, I, I never get to see what it really looks like and really see what goes on. And uh, that's the one thing that I always wish that someone who had to coach themselves, if I could only see myself one or two times, actually run it, not on a 2D surface, uh, even a high-def TV or whatever, if I could just see myself do it in 3D, that would be something that would be like a treasure to me, to watch me run. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> egotistical, but I would love to have seen myself run. Because yeah, I, no. what I experienced is something completely different than everyone else. Everyone yeah. else sees. I, I have no idea what I look like running, you know. It is different to watch it on, on TV for sure. Hey, last question for you. As a former hurdler myself, I always found it frustrating that the women's hurdle stayed the same height. And it was basically a sprint with a, with a little bit in the way. And the men's is such a drastic height in the 100 to, to really change 110 to really change the race. Do you agree with me that the women's hurdles in the 100 should be higher and more of an actual obstacle? I absolutely agree with you. Right now they are 33. Let's see. The, the, Women are 33, 30, yeah. 33 inches. They're 33. I think they should put them up to 36, the same height as the intermediate hurdles for men. I absolutely – that's a very good – I haven't heard anyone else say that, but I've been saying that for years. Yeah. And I think they should raise maybe the 400-meter hurdles up three inches as well. Yeah, because even it's more very easy to go over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
This is coming from a six foot hurdler. You know why I want him to be higher because I'm yeah, stepping absolutely. over. Absolutely, <laughs> you would be. You, that would, it would make it more competitive for, for, right. for big women like That's you. That's right. Yeah, uh, Edwin, I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely, yeah. I always have said that. Thanks for the time and enjoy the rest of the games. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks a lot. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Suddenly, I feel like Sonny has taken over the uh, rejoin music at this point. If it's New Kids, that's the only that's the only thing yeah. I can make it make any sense of. Uh, this reminds me, I was just uh, making some plans with a whole bunch of folks for our trip to Louisville in a couple weeks for a. Uh, Red Stars a tournament against Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain and Louisville FC. And um, I'm looking around to see what else is going on in Louisville at the time, and it's the Kansas State Fair. And that Friday night, genuine and color me bad. Oh, my God. It, I you know. know. Here's the Tempting. thing. Everybody else wants genuine out of that. I am all in on color me bad, man. Well, we all they just want underrated. one genuine. Can you name a song oh, other yeah. than Pony? Yeah, no, none of us can. Uh, shout out to Elika Sadegi, <laughs> our, our friend. Yes. Just every time I hear Pony, I immediately of think of, of her just rack, rocking out to it. But no, I mean, Color Me Bad had some, like I actually bought some cassette singles of Color Me Bad. Thank you very much. I believe Woo! that was my first cassette, like full, full cassette, like double sides, all the tunes. I, I mean, I don't have a lot of memories. Of course, I want to sex you up and all for love. And then there was one that was partly in Spanish, I think. Oh, they had the, they had a ballad that was like, "I will love you for the earth at my feet. Oh, I will love you for the sun and the, the sun stars. and the rain." Uh, yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, gosh, so good. I could get down to some color me bad at the Kansas State <laughs> Fair. Watch some people grade some cows. Listen to some color me oh, bad. God. Get into this some ponies. This is this is the only ESPN radio show I guarantee you that is going to wax poetically about Color Me Bad. Well, so you're yeah. welcome, America. You're welcome. Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're both a little off tonight, so just buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> we got Astros Dodgers coming up 9 Eastern pregame right here on ESPN Radio. Max Scherzer making his Dodgers debut. Certain to be a lot of boo birds out again as this is the first chance for Dodgers fans, uh, this series to really give it to the Astros. And they sure did last night, so we'll see if it happens again. Uh, we also have a lot of Olympics news to catch up on, Fitz. And one of the things that comes up pretty much every Olympic cycle, at least in the last 10 or 15 years, has been the U.S. women's basketball team just not getting the credit that they deserve for their unbelievable excellence. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. One of them is that basketball is a sport that we can watch year-round, right? So outside of the dream team being very unique or the possibility of losing when you're expected to win, you tend not to get as much attention on those early-round games for basketball as you would in the sports that you never see otherwise, like swimming or track and field or things like that. Also, there's a lot of conversation about race and aesthetics, right? The girl-next-door vibes of the U.S. women's soccer team when opposed to the primarily black and often queer women who make up the basketball team. Um, but they continue to do what they do, and it doesn't really matter who at home is offering them the media and the respect that they deserve in terms of their performance because they show up every time. And Brianna Stewart in particular at one point was essentially outscoring the Australians last night by herself, ended up being 79-55 win over the Opals, and a, a little bit of a, a nice moment, especially because they had taken that loss in the friendlies in the exhibition to Australia. So they had a chance to prove themselves when it mattered more, and they did. 
Yeah, and I also think that these are the moments that we need for this because there was so so much controversy even on the way the team was assembled and how they came together. And like there are moments where we just have to remember what we're rooting for at the end, which is for this team to be the best team in the world and the best team that they can possibly be. And when you see it, I think what hits me every time I watch the women's basketball team play is the just absolutely embarrassment of riches that we have when it comes to the way this roster is constructed and how good the stinking team is. I know there were a lot of questions about who belongs there and those questions are never going to go away, but I still want whoever is there to go out and kick as much butt as possible. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. And I hope we all, as they get into further rounds, give a little bit more attention. Um, But yeah, they, they take out Australia. The men's team has to face Australia next and they've lost to that team twice uh, the last two times they've met them and Australia always a perennial powerhouse on the men's side in international play so it won't be a simple win for them speaking of U.S. Australia matchups the U.S. women's soccer team will also face Australia that happens around 3 a.m. central I believe this morning Um, uh, coming up I guess tomorrow morning is technically what it is (laughs) Uh, the bronze medal match between the U.S. women's national team and Australia and we talked to Abby Wambach the other day and they sure don't want to go home empty-handed, right? It's not the gold. It's it's less than they had hoped and expected. But coming back with nothing to show for it would hurt a lot more. Yeah, and I think we have to remember that at some point, that this is a team that now has to find the way to bounce back from massive disappointment, massive unexpected disappointment, and come out and make a statement. And while we, a lot of people sitting in front of a microphone or a TV would just presume that an athlete can turn that on, I'm not sure it's that easy to just manufacture that energy through that disappointment. So I'll be really interested to see what kind of focus they come yeah. out with and, and they you know, how they find it. that drive. Yeah, Alyssa Nair, the goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Team, and also for my Chicago Red Stars, suffered a hyperextension of her knee and a bone contusion in that last game, and she's out for this one. So uh, that's a huge blow. She had really established herself even more than she already had internationally with, with their match before when she stopped three PKs. So that is that is a tough loss for the team, and, and to your point, we'll see just how focused they are and how together they can get themselves in a disappointing bronze match. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about the Olympics. A weird story that that, that got uh, – it's a sad story that, that has now been uncomfortable. Raven Saunders, the incredible shot putter who won a silver medal for Team USA, who made a joke about how she was going to wear those sh- short sprinter booty shorts instead of her long spandex and then went ahead and did it and twerked mid-competition, had such great flair and swagger. Um, her mother has died just days after that Olympic medal win – There is no cause known yet of death, but she was in Orlando uh, attending a viewing party to watch those Olympic competitions. And they've now announced that the investigation into Saunders' uh, 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 podium celebration where she threw up the X is going to be on hold for now. And that's good, Fitz, because uh, I don't know that you need to add anything more with with her dealing with the death of her mom. And the, the demonstration was also after the Olympic Uh, after the anthem was played and it was for all oppressed people. It was not expressing any hate and it was not during the anthem. So I I hope they just let it go. A really important moment of what you just said right there that everybody with an opinion on this needs to hear. It was not done during the anthem. It was not done in any way that, that violated those rules. Uh, she didn't do anything there. Uh, what she did was after that. And I just want people to hear and understand that before they form their opinions on how she should be treated for it.
Yeah, and our best to her and her family. That's a heartbreaking thing to happen in the midst of all this excitement and enthusiasm about her first Olympic medal. Uh, We didn't have time to get to the sumo, but maybe later. Coming up, (laughs) could the Cubs bring back one of the players that they dealt last week? Our next guest thinks so, and we're going to get into it. Coming up, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz taking you into Astros Dodgers on ESPN Radio tonight. Pre-game starts at 9 Eastern. Max Scherzer making his Dodgers debut. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Tune in to that interleague battle tonight. Dodgers host the Astros. Coverage at 9 Eastern, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Joining us to talk about that and all things baseball, ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. Buster, thanks for the time. As he joins us here on the Goodyear Hotline, we got to talk about the start of the series that we just teased. Last night's series opener, Astros, coming to L.A. for the first time with fans in the stands, and it was a scene. What did you make of it? You know, I thought that, uh, yes, <laughs> you probably don't want fans throwing stuff on the field. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, generally speaking, as with Yankee Stadium, it felt like, for the most part, the fans got it right. Uh, you know, to let their feelings be known to the to the Houston Astros, but at the same time, nobody going completely nuts and crossing the line. I actually liked it, uh, and, I, and I'm fascinated by the possibility that we're going to see the Astros and the Dodgers in the World Series. That would be some energy level, you know, energy for sure. I think most at this point, most of the anger is contained within the fans uh, rather than the players. I think the players, for the most part, have moved past it. I'm curious, though, Buster, because the fans, as you mentioned, especially baseball fans, care more about history than I think any other fans from any other sport. At what point do the fans move forward? Never. Uh, Jose Altuve will be booed the rest of his career when he steps into the box. Uh, Carlos Correa will be booed every time he steps in the box and he's playing on the road. I saw it with Roberto Alomar. But a spitting incident at the end of the 1996 season. He was booed the rest of his career. Uh, and I think... You know, once word broke of this scandal and we saw the, you know, the suspensions of of folks like A.J. Hinch and and Jeff Luno, uh, you know, being fired by the Houston Astros, I I think that locked these guys in to that legacy. When, you know, if Jose Altuve someday is voted in the Hall of Fame, that's going to be a conversation those last days before he makes his speech in Cooperstown. Yeah, I think if they manage to win with this core without the sign stealing and cheating and everything, maybe that helps uh, quiet people a little bit, but uh, plenty will still be banging drums. I'm, I'm sorry, banging garbage cans for a long time. Buster mm-hmm. Olney's with us. Astros Dodgers on ESPN Radio, by the way, 9 Eastern tonight. Any thoughts on Cole Hamill signing? Yeah, I thought it was a good signing for the for the Dodgers. It's basically, you know, low risk. Uh, and, and who knows, you know, as a pitcher who relies on his changeup, from what I understand in the workout he did for the Dodgers and other teams, he's throwing his fastball 88 to 90 miles per hour. That you can make that work if your your best pitch is your changeup. Uh, it's a million dollars in guaranteed money plus two hundred thousand dollars for every start he makes. For the Dodgers, a franchise that's that's pennies. It's not a big deal. I, I like them taking that gamble. We're talking to Buster only on Spain and Fitz. There, Spain, Jason Fitz, Buster. You know, I've been trying to help Sarah through the last few days. Any like message of hope for Cubs fans that are still reeling from what happened at the end of last week? Yeah, I'd say this. Uh, and I heard this from a lot of baseball executives after the Cubs did this sell-off. Look what happened with the Philadelphia Phillies with those teams from like 2006 to, to 2012 when they hung on to the group too long. They haven't made the playoffs since. Uh, the Giants, 
you know, didn't move on from that team that won three World Series in five years, uh, and they've had some really bad years. Folks with other teams think the Cubs did the exact right thing. And flipping these guys and getting some assets back, I wrote a column the other day in which I, you know, as someone who took six years to go through Vanderbilt and I got a D-plus in my last class, which was Spanish 301, I felt like, uh, you know, the Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, the legacy players from 2016, they felt like six-year college students. Like, it was stale. And it was time for them to move on. And it's not a surprise to me that, you know, you're seeing those guys playing well, energized with their new teams. And I do think, Sarah, I'm giving you some hope here, I think they're going to re-sign Javier Baez. I think mm-hmm. they would have signed him if not for the outbreak of COVID in 2020 because they were making progress on a deal. He's the most likely guy to come back. Well, I'll say this. Um, I think it's okay to be sad and disappointed with all those guys leaving and still think that it makes some business sense. I was just surprised by a full fire sale in a big market where you say, well, you know, we added you Darvish, we added Jose Quintana, we added Kimbrel. Like we tried our best and it wasn't enough. So we're just going to clean the house. I-, I thought there was a reason to keep some guys around. And maybe if bias comes back, that'll, that'll be true. Buster Olney's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's talk about some of those Cubs. Rizzo just absolutely crushing it with the Yankees, making us all hurt over here in Chicago, but maybe also in Boston where the Red Sox realized that, that guy that everyone they said should have gone for uh, is is what they're missing right now. Yeah, to me, it was a complete shock that the Red Sox didn't finish a deal for Rizzo. I think among all the players who are available in the trade market, no player fit one team better than Rizzo would have fit the Red Sox. Left-handed hitter, postseason experience, and most importantly, a great defender. Um, you know, From what I understand, the Red Sox weren't close in this bidding, and the Yankees wind up getting him. And now, you know, while the, the Red Sox got Kyle Schwarber, whatever decisions Alex Cora makes to get Schwarber in the lineup, it's going to diminish an already poor defense. You know, if you play him at first base, it's a spot he's never played before. If you put him in left field, a better outfielder is going to have to sit. If you put him at DH, it means J.D. Martinez has to play the outfield. I, I, I get the – you definitely wonder if within the Red Sox clubhouse there's some major questions about what the front office did – because the most aggressive teams in that division before the trade deadline were teams that weren't in first place. The Red Sox were in first place, and they were the least aggressive team among the four. That makes no sense to me. We're talking to Buster only on Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, while we're talking about divisions and chaos, the NL East, where's the division going to you? Fitzy, to me, it's completely wide open because we don't know what Jacob Grom is going to bring to the table for the Mets, if anything. You know, they backed up his timeline repeatedly. DeGrom's talked uh, with confidence and positively about what he could bring in September. Who knows? Uh, and, you know, knowing that, that he, there's a lot of uncertainty around him, seeing Taiwan Walker pitch on uh, Tuesday night and be so ineffective again. Uh, look, the, the Mets, uh, are, they're hardly, you know, look like a juggernaut as we go down the stretch. And both the Phillies and the Braves added – because they saw that vulnerability, you know, the, the Braves adding outfielders, knowing also that Travis Darno, Waskar, and Noah are going to be back sometime in the middle of this month. The, the Phillies adding Kyle Gibson some bullpen help. It, I think all three of these teams have a reasonable path to winning the division. And I actually, at this moment, feel pretty good about my preseason pick of the Braves repeating as division uh, champion, especially with how hot Freddie Freeman is. Talking to Buster only about all things baseball, let's talk about the Angels. It's just. 
It's a bummer, honestly, when you've got some really exciting superstars on a team and you don't get to see them in the postseason, whether that's because of injury or just record, but below 500 now. What do they do with Otani? And it's a really fascinating question because, as you know, a lot of times when a team is nearing the end of a lost season, they'll basically take a young pitcher and they'll shut him down or begin to pull the reins back. Uh, and earlier today, the Angels announced that Anthony Rendon, their third baseman, is out for the rest of the year. He needs surgery. They don't know when Mike Trout's going to be back. It certainly has all the makings of a lost season. But from what I understand, the Angels' feeling is with, uh, with Otani is going to be, look, you, you do you. If you want to ride it out the rest of the year and continue to be a, a two-way player and throw a lot of innings and take a lot of plate appearances, you've earned that right. They took the bubble wrap off him at the beginning of this season, asked him to do that. He's responded so well to that. He's clearly, at this point, the, you know, the favorite to win the American League MVP, and they're not going to keep him from doing that. If Otani down the stretch continues to say, look, I want to pitch and add to my numbers there, I want to hit and add to my 37 homers and OPS over 1,028, they're going to let him do that all the way to the finish line. It's really up to him in how much he plays and pitches. Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN, MLB Insider, Buster, only brought to you by Samsung Galaxy. You won't be able to go back to mediocre after this. Are you ready for this life? Find out at Samsung.com slash reserve. Buster, we're not letting you go because we, we have to get to Major League Baseball Bachelor. We have to help Fitz find a big league team. And boring baseball is on the docket today. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. By the way, I guess I kept saying Kansas State Fair instead of Kentucky. As I've already said multiple times tonight, my brain is broken. So y'all know what I meant. Color me bad, genuine. Couple weeks at the Kentucky State Fair. Get your tickets now. Can't imagine uh, that one. just sell say, out. in your in your defense, Sarah, the number of times I've come across, I've played fairs. That I'm like, why is it called this? I just figured that it was like backed by something that, you know, like yeah. a local brand or no, whatever. Just, like, just backed yeah. by my broken brain. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We got Astros Dodgers on ESPN Radio tonight. Pre-game at 9 Eastern, Max Scherzer making his Dodgers debut. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We've been talking to Buster only on the Goodyear hotline. We're going to keep that up. We didn't want to let him go because we have yet to make our next cut in Jason's Major League Baseball Bachelor. This is Fitz's attempt to whittle down, whittle down all the teams of MLB and pick one, one to root for, just one. He doesn't have a squad. And we're using a number of different categories. Let's get back into Major League Baseball Bachelor. The journey for love continues. I've been alone for way too long. I'm ready to fall in love. One man, 30 eligible competitors. Sarah convinced me that it was time to make a commitment not going to lie, I have mixed emotions. Who will capture Fitz's heart and win the final rose? Hi, my name is Jason Fitz, and I'm the Major League Bachelor. This is Major League Bachelor on Spain and Fitz. That's right, we're going to get Fitz a baseball team. There is some intrigue as there's some potential for him to return a team that he already eliminated, but we're not going to get into that right now. Fitz, tell Buster what the category for cuts is today. All right, so Buster, you know, we're whittling these down, as Sarah said, and, and today the category is uh, personalities. So I'm really looking to eliminate five teams today that lack personality. So when I say I'm looking for a team that just doesn't have that guy that I'm going to want to run out and buy the jersey, that personality I can really get behind, like what comes first to your mind? The Marlins. 
Wow. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> look, I, I, you know, you love the young pitching, but I, it's not like we look at that and say, uh, you know, that they have a, a group of, of, of guys who are going to be dogpiling in the next three years. The Marlins and, and immediately double, jumped to mind. Double whammy because they got eliminated in the last round for their uniforms. So sorry, oh, Miami. This has just been <laughs> a tough process for you. What else you got, Buster? Uh, it's just, you know, off the top, the Baltimore Orioles, who I, I find to be the biggest embarrassment in baseball right now. <laughs> they went into the tankathon the way other teams have, uh, you know, in the last decade. But unlike the Cubs or the Astros, there is no payoff in sight. It looks like it might be another four or five years before they're relevant. So the Orioles, to me, That's, uh, he's really are, making you feel good. definitely dumb. He's making you feel good about your choices. These are ones that I cut off the list already, yeah. Buster. So I feel yeah. like I'm crushing. What about the Pirates? I'm going to ask. Like, do the Pirates have like? Is there is there something for me to get really excited about for Pittsburgh? Well, beautiful ballpark, right? Um, and they have collected a lot of really good players. But if you're looking for reasons to eliminate uh, teams at this point, I-, I could see a good reason to eliminate the Pirates because they're not close to contending for the National League Central. There you no, go. Look, I never read a big, big reason to, to eliminate Pittsburgh. I'm all in on that, Sarah. So yeah. maybe we help That's there. Good. I like that. I like that. Anybody else before we let you go, Buster? Uh, I, the Oakland Athletics, for me, just because I'm so tired of hearing about their ballpark situation, <laughs> uh, they, they, the Athletics in, in the city of Oakland remind me of that couple we all knew in college that was constantly breaking up and complaining about the other. And you're just like, can you please make a decision and stop complaining about the other? Just please move on. Oh, An you know, the interesting go choice. to Las Vegas if yeah. that's what you want to do. Yeah, well, See, that's, that's what a, This is, is the difficult for. one. Yeah, this, this is a difficult one, Buster, because Oakland was the first team off my list because growing up a Raiders fan, I just hated the fact that they shared a stadium. It made life complicated for the Raiders. And now, so I said, look, I can't go my whole life and not root for them, but now they may move to the very city I was born in. I don't know what to do with that, Buster. If they become wow. the Vegas A's, I got to root for them. Come it's on. a hell of a cliffhanger, guys. This is uh-huh. a cliffhanger. Fitz, you can't reveal yet that you're bringing the A's back into the mix the mansion is full right now okay we can't do it yet hey buster thanks for the insight really appreciate it okay guys great to talk with you i love that we kept a very busy buster only around just to talk to us about major league bachelor uh amazing amazing important stuff so let's go through this he named a couple that you have already eliminated for other reasons so just really pouring salt into the wound but you mentioned the pirates i'll give you some suggestions from our loyal listeners slash my Twitter fans uh, and followers, they've suggested among them the D-backs, the Twins, Cardinals, Tigers, Giants, Rangers, Orioles, Mariners, Washington, Colorado, Miami, Cleveland, Arizona, and somebody at Blame Sanjay. I am going to blame you. You said the Angels and the Padres. We said boring teams with no personalities. Dude, come on. You've been watching the Angels and the Padres? Get it together, man. I mean, let's be real. If there's a team that, like, if we were doing this America's Got Talent style and there was a team that was likely to be gold-ticketed all the way to the finals, the Padres would probably be on yeah. most people's list Tati's for that for a million different on. reasons. Yeah. So, uh, I, But I do think, 
A couple reasons here for the, the Pirates. The, they gone. Uh, we're just taking the wow. Pirates off the list at this point. And you know, I think I, I got the I got the the affirmation I needed there from Buster to feel comfortable eliminating the Pirates. But also, uh, I you know, years ago I dated a girl that was from Swickley, Pennsylvania, and uh, I was at her house with her parents, the who didn't believe in swearing and didn't really care about football. The wow. night that there was a, a a tuck, and we'd never heard of a tuck rule, and I was sitting. <laughs> in that house and I couldn't drop the F-bomb and then her mom looks at me and says it's just a football game that you had nothing to do with. So, look, Pittsburgh was already teetering on the edge of being eliminated in any way, but for that very reason, uh, the Pirates go off the list. I think that's a fair reason reason for me to do that. Um, Honestly, as someone who, uh, you know, right now at this current moment would like to select a baseball team instead of keeping the one that I have, uh, that's a smart move from you. I would never touch the Pirates by choice. So very good choice. Um, Like we said, we already eliminated Miami and the Orioles. We'll take those out of the mix. Let's look at some of the other teams that people have suggested. I mean, the Mariners are probably another team that you would never want to select. It just, of of all the teams that you can choose and, and hope that they bring you some happiness, the Mariners are not the team to do that. So uh, I would recommend that maybe you, you give them the boot. Yeah, they gone at this point. Ooh, Seattle okay. off the and and look, part of this, like I, I really thought about this one for a while because frankly, I like the color scheme. The mm-hmm. uh, stadium is beautiful. Uh, the Seattle. fact that they have sushi in the stadium is a, mm-hmm. a spectacular thing. Yeah, I really like Seattle. But then I got to thinking about our good friend Mina Kimes. Like Mina is never happy as a Seattle Mariners <laughs> fan, and I, I look at that and I think I, I've already got that Raiders thing in me. I don't need this for the Mariners too. So when you factor that in with the fact that there isn't that personality that draws us in they're off the list i, I think that's a good the, yeah. a good selection how about the arizona right, diamondbacks so, uh is this a team that you want to potentially you know say goodbye to were the diamondbacks i uh, i thought they were already off our list are they not uh, uh, did have the you already talked oh uh, you know that does sound like a oh team yeah oh uh, we got rid of them for uniforms very wisely so yeah 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 we got rid of them for uniforms they're off the list now uh i will say uh minnesota twins yeah uh, boring I'm bored at this point. Like there, there's nothing there that, that has brought me into Minnesota, so I'm taking the Twins off the list too. I feel good. That's about That's a good that. choice. Even Twins fans were suggesting themselves. Hey, so. It's just just to be fair <laughs> on the Diamondbacks getting back to Arizona. They're so bad they deserve to be eliminated twice. Wow! Oh, a, look wow! At that. Stash look at chimes that. in. Stash chimes in from from his KC throne. To beat up on now is a good time to team. tell you, Stosh, that I'm about to to eliminate the Royals. Is it is it wow. too early to tell you that the Kansas like I I mean Stosh, is there somebody for Kansas City that I should be paying attention to? Salvador Perez, yeah, Salvador Perez going off in the home yeah. run derby. Oh man, maybe I'm rethinking it. Know. Okay, okay, all right, maybe we'll give you some time. You got rid of three right. so far. By the end of the show, we need to pick two more to get rid of. Stash, I'm sure we'll spend the entire commercial break talking to you about Salvador Perez and the rest of that Royals roster. We'll get back to that coming up. We're going to get some insight into this Olympic run for Kevin Durant and what the future holds for his Brooklyn Nets. It's coming up on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We are joined uh, by Matt Sullivan, author of Can't Knock the Hustle, Inside the Season of Protest, Pandemic, and Progress with the Brooklyn Nets Superstars of tomorrow. Matt, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time uh, and your insight on this. Thanks for hanging out with us. What inspired you to want to write this book? I think just the idea of player empowerment as we've come to know it on the court 
versus player empowerment off the court as we've come to see the NBA's influence over the last 10 years. And my book flashes back across the league from the decision through the historic year we've just encountered. And the Nets really personify a lot of those really big themes of power, fame, activism, celebrity, influence, social media, all kind of coalescing into this really insane year I found myself in the middle of. I heard you on another show talking about the access that you got was the result of merely asking. And the host of that show kind of made it sound like, oh, well, everybody else is a moron for not just seeing if they could, you know, <laughs> tag along. When, in fact, my guess is that you hadn't alienated anyone with previous reporting, you know, beat reporter duties, et cetera. Is it safe to say or fair to say that you didn't have a really strong relationship with Kyrie or KD or any of these players when you asked if you could shadow them for a while? For sure, Sarah. You know, I was an editor, a longtime non-sports journalist in very serious newsy journalism. And at Bleacher Report, I was, you know, started a a long-form magazine where I was the guy behind the scenes. And so in order to get behind the scenes, I just kind of slipped in the same way and really approached Kyrie, KD, guys who've been, you know, villainized by the mainstream sports media in their eyes and just saw them as intellectual peers. So we were talking politics. We were talking shoes. We weren't into the X's and O's or the daily soap operas of Mm. the NBA, which obviously interest me and are all over the pages of this book. But it was really about just seeing them eye to eye and saying, you know what? For two years, I'm not going to tweet a damn thing. I'm just going to be here as your peer and giving you context in 350 pages that often gets boiled down to sound bites and tweets, which now it may have. But I think that ingratiated me to these guys. And I'm not saying I'm friends with them. It's an honest, truthful account that I think shows a lot of unvarnished reality of what it looks like in a locker room and in the bedrooms of these guys and the rich and famous. But that's how I leveled with them. And I think that's why they opened up to me as opposed to your everyday beat reporters. So if you could take a moment and tell most of the media what we get wrong about these guys, what really stands out to you? I think just trying to see guys as having a day job and a night job. I think these are fathers. These are uh, family members. These are people taking care of tons of people in their orbit and shutting out people from their orbit. And you take someone like Kyrie Irving, who's, you know, an easy villain. I I get it. He's kind of long-winded and doesn't always have a clear point, but he's also out here buying a house for the family of George Floyd. A couple of weeks ago, a kid gets shot in California. It tells his doctor that his favorite player is heroes, Kyrie Irving. The doctor calls Kyrie his personal team on a lark. And lo and behold, Kyrie's buying this kid a disability approved house that he could never afford. So I think you got to take that into account when you get on him for, you know, the litany of things from flat earth and beyond. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to the author of Can't Knock the Hustle, a book about the Brooklyn Nets, Matt Sullivan. Yeah, and I've always struggled with that with Kyrie. I'm not going to not address the flat earth stuff and the people are pawns stuff because of the rest of it, but these players aren't monoliths, right? And they can't necessarily be summed up by one or two things. And so much of the work he's done, also for players in the WNBA and things like that, um, is really admirable. And and he's a very unique and special guy. Would you say of the two of them, of, of Durant and Kyrie, did you feel like you were able to get close to them? Because I think that often is what people seem to think of them is um, there's there's a distance there, a sensitivity for sure, but also that they find their people and outside of those people, um, maybe not easy to get along with or get to know. Katie is pretty easy to get to know once you just level with him. He's a pure hooper who likes to be in the gym and chilling at his crib, smoking a joint, right? And, and Kyrie 
is difficult to get to know, but I think a lot of my interactions with him were about deep stuff, Kobe, activism, politics, and, and that's what really interests him and has brought out this kind of new Kyrie, which he's still not articulating perfectly, right? The, it's hard to think it's been only a year. It's been a very long year since he tried to boycott the bubble, but he was called, you know, some names for that, but he really was trying to bring players together. And I think how he channels that energy from the Breonna Taylor, George Floyd summer into going forward, or whether he balances with that, with just locking in on the court and not being this distraction is kind of pissing off management by disappearing for weeks at a time, whether that's precipitated by the Capitol riot and the lack of charges and the shooting of Jacob Blake, or just like being a dad or taking a mental health day. I think he needs to clarify some of that if the Nets really want to make this dynasty happen. We're talking to Matt Sullivan, author of Can't Knock the Hustle, Inside the Season, a protest pandemic in progress with the Brooklyn Nets superstars of tomorrow. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, the the social justice issues. How much did that really play into day-to-day life for all of these players as they were navigating the waters? You know, I was talking with guys about this and and women in WNBA long before the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. I had investigated every police killing in America before I was a sports writer. And I think a lot of the, you know, I can't breathe t-shirts that LeBron and Kyrie wore after the killing of Eric Garner at Barclays Center, when Jay-Z and Beyonce were there with Kate Middleton and William. I mean, this confluence of stuff had been building for such a long time. And by the time that Barclays Center in Brooklyn became kind of an epicenter, if you will, of, of, of the global protest movement, at least here in New York City, I was out here in the streets uh, of, of Brooklyn marching with guys on the nets. I was talking about this stuff that was making guys like Wilson Chandler, not just Kyrie, second guess, you know, is it worth going to the bubble to, you know, Wilson Chandler called it a plantation mentality to send guys into an entertainment arena of a literal bubble hermetically sealed when maybe they should be out here fighting the good fight in the streets. And I think that's, that's a back and forth that you'll still see, even as the NBA has learned from the buck strike in the bubble and everyone from Barack Obama and LeBron James putting pressure on the NBA to not just be caught on their heels and worried about retweets and sudden, you know, caustic meetings in the middle of the night, but really being ahead of the game and putting pressure on Washington and not just on their Twitter followings. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's talk Kevin Durant because this is a guy, it's not like anybody forgot about him, but there was a long stretch where he wasn't playing. There were questions about how he would look post-Achilles tear. There were questions about the chemistry and fit of this new super team in Brooklyn. What we saw was a team that would have had a lot more success if they could be healthy, but a Kevin Durant who came back to the powers that we all remembered. Now he's leading the U.S. He's the all-time leading scorer for Team USA in the Olympics, passing Melo, and he's going to be set up with a team that now has some history and some, you know, uh, cogents uh coming into next season just how big could the next i don't know year or so be for durant between the olympics and the nets next season i think he's only going up sarah monty williams the the sun's head coach who was it was a team usa coach back in summer 2016 games he told me a story about how he'd walk up to to kd and they, they kind of have a little whispery conversation after a good workout and Katie says, Hey coach. And, and Monty's like, what thinking KD might ask a personal question or make fun of his shoes again. Cause he wears ugly shoes in the gym. And Katie said, who's the hardest worker in the gym? And Monty's like, what? And Katie's like, who's the hardest worker? And he's like, uh, you Kev. And so Monty's like, 
just thinking like, this guy is sick. That's what you wanted to know. That's how much better he thinks he can get every day. And so we talk about player empowerment, player development, all these heady concepts. Katie's only going to get better as the best player in the world. And I think he's got big boulders on his shoulders after Giannis kind of took the steam away. And, you know, old man Harden out here is going to be new James Harden. And Kyrie, if he can bring that triumvirate together, I, I think Steve Nash brings, an, again, the almost intellectual peer mentality to what he calls protect the group, right? Insulate the big three from the outside noise, from annoying book authors who aren't going to be allowed back in next season, <laughs> and let these guys hoop. And so for all their off-the-court drama, all their off-the-court leadership, I think the Nets dynasty from here on out is going to be about locking in and really living up to the potential that I think you know everyone from us to Vegas has odds on for him. The book's called Can't Knock the Hustle Inside the Season of Protest Pandemic in Progress with the Brooklyn Nets Superstars of Tomorrow. You can get it wherever you get your books. Go out, get it today. Matt Sullivan, author, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and your insight on this. Great work. Thanks a lot, guys. Happy reading. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. Find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. The book absolutely looks epic. I cannot wait to check it out. In the meantime, coming up next here, two words, sumo butt. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I saw somebody tweet, too, that it's a waste to get the venti because there's the same amount of caffeine in a grande in the venti. As a big consumer, I'm aware of the number of shots of everything and all of this, but I drink a lot of liquid. So I want the, I get the Trenta half the time now. So I want as much liquid as possible. What is that even? 30 ounces instead of 20. It's bigger? Trenta. Yes, it's bigger. By the way, I thought at one point during this very long relationship we've now had where you vacillated between eating completely clean and vegetarian to being like keto to having tons of sugar to doing beach body to having coffee to having no coffee. Like, I thought we were still in that phase right now where you don't have tons and tons of caffeine. Did you go back to the Ventis and the Trentas? No, no, I'm I'm much better now than I, I, like, I'm down to, like, one or two coffees a day, which for me is is stellar. And I drink, you know, because, like, again, it's all about the quantity of liquid that I take in. So, like, it is not... Uh, well, uh, water now is the, you know, um, okay, because that's I'm always good, but thirsty. Like, if quantity of liquid, if it's like milk or like soda, that's not a thing to aim for. Right. No, I don't aim for it. I just do uh, like, so right now it's not uncommon for me to go through like a case and a half of seltzer water a day. Like I just, I drink water. Mm. I drink all day. You know, it doesn't matter what you put in front of me. It can be vodka. It can be coffee, uh, which is probably a problem. Can't wait but to I cut just, that one up. I drink yeah, all day, just followed yeah. by every verbal error you've ever made on this show. <laughs> Most of them from today, and throw me in there, too, because it's been a long show. (laughs) Oh, it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, Look, you know, and you're right, by the way, I am three weeks into the work, my Beachbody workout, and I'm telling you, like, my moobs are really, like, my man boobs. Like, I can can squeeze one of them, and it makes, like, a little movement. I don't know. I'm I'm starting to get yoked. Like, like, what what cup size are we going for now? Are Are you trying to go up or down or just firmer? Uh, no, I'm 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 like growing into an A instead of a concave. I feel really good about that. You know, like like uh, my my sleeves like this is good in our time together. To Sarah's point of my lack of ability to handle anything in moderation, I have gone from a point where like I could wear medium shirts to where like largest were getting a little tight. Now oh. I'm at that spot where like I'm into the like the small medium shirt, but it's not my stomach that busted out. Is like like the the shoulders. Like I'm starting to get biceps, Sarah. I, I mean, wow. for a little guy, like. 
proud of you. Like I'm reallying the heck out of this thing. I'm starting to feel like. (laughs) Okay, let's not get ahead of yourselves. We've all seen Reali's thirst traps. He's got a whole lot more than an A cup. Give me time. Give me time. And by the way, it's not my fault that you worked with Izzy before, and Izzy has the body of a golden god. I mean, like. Speaking of, of <laughs> statues that should exist, because you could make one. Like, for anyone that hasn't seen Izzy Gutierrez, like the pictures of him without a shirt on, they could just put that in a museum and be like, gentlemen, this is what your abs should look like if you really had abs. Uh, there is a, <laughs> a, a statue of sorts doing quite the opposite uh, at the Olympics, and it comes in the form of sumo butt, because apparently <laughs> there's a life-size sumo wrestler statue and the butt is sort of facing the horses at the Olympics, and it seems to be uh, scaring them a little during the equestrian competition. I don't know how anyone didn't look around and think, horse doesn't want to see the sumo butt, sir. <laughs> it's the butt and the face. It's a pretty staggering statue. If you Google sumo butt Tokyo, you will get a handful of articles, and one of them has a great photo of a horse leaping over an obstacle right next to, it looks like sumo butt man is holding holding it up. Um, there's a, there's conversations in the equestrian events that the Olympics especially always try to outdo themselves with the interesting and different visuals on the courses, right? They're still jumping the same obstacles, but around those obstacles are these visuals. And somebody said this British rider, Harry Charles, said he noticed four or five horses really taking a spook to it, right? Uh, horses are very easily startled. They're pack animals, and they are always constantly being preyed upon. So they're constantly looking around for elements of danger. And apparently this butt is dangerous. <laughs> well, you're not wrong, by the way. I Googled it on my work computer, so we'll see how that works uh, <laughs> moving forward, uh, obviously. And speaking of the Olympics, we do have some uh, happy news continually. It feels like from the A-team, as they call them, April Ross and Alex Kleinman, uh, the ladies' uh, volleyball team is playing for the gold medal. I love the fact that Mr. T got involved on Twitter, yes. tweeting, congratulations <laughs> when I heard that they call you ladies the A-team. I had to cheer you on. I pity the competition. Grr. I'm all in for an on-brand tweet from Mr. T. 100%. And this is a really fun team. I've become acquaintances with April Ross over the years. In fact, one time I was just rolling down the, the, the strand in Hermosa Beach, and there she was at work, essentially. She was training on the beach, which is something you can spot all the time in Hermosa, Manhattan uh, area. And uh, that's going to the office for them. And, and what's really cool about this team, so... Now, uh, April Ross is the only uh, player left with an Olympic medal in contention. Um, All the other Team USA veterans are out. And her partner, Alex Kleiman, who's eight years younger than her, was a great indoor player and a Stanford alum who she kind of coaxed into taking on beach and really complicated and different strategies and a lot of work jumping, running in the sand and all that. And early on. Kleinman would get all the serves in beach volleyball. You're, you're going to serve the lesser talent. You're going to offer them up fewer opportunities for spikes and to handle your serves. And it's at the point now because Kleinman's development has gotten so great that now they're, they're serving April, the, the veteran with multiple Olympic medals, mainly just because she's 39. But she has been handling herself unbelievably taking the brunt of the work at her age and with her, her um, experience. And it's really, really fun to watch. It's also alarming, and I, I know I'm saying something everybody feels when they watch these things, but I'll always put my fan hat on, especially with the Olympics. I'm alarmed at the athleticism all of that <laughs> takes, a beach yes. volleyball particularly. Like, you you cannot waste a step because no. you make one step the wrong direction, and all of a sudden you are you put yourself completely 
out of position to get anything done. The length with which they stride to be able mm-hmm. to get across the sand is stunning to me when I watch it. And I look at it and think, man, I lumber to like walk across the beach, uh, you know, just at a casual pace. And you see the the ground they cover. Sarah, to me, it's one of the underappreciated athleticism yeah. moments of the Olympics. If you ever really want to understand it, it's pretty simple. Go out to any beach volleyball court near you and bring a bunch of friends and see how many of you it takes for you to feel comfortable covering all the ground. And then remember, they do it with two people. <laughs> Yeah, every time you see one of those leagues where you got like seven on seven yeah. playing, you're like, you know what? There's there's other ways that this gets done. Yeah. So I mean, uh, kudos to them for the continual dominance. Going to be fun to watch as we continue to keep you updated on all things Olympics. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.